Thank you all for tuning in to the 322nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always, going to have a special guest on, Jamal St. Cyr, sports anchor for News 4 Jacks. We're going to have a great conversation. Uh, this was an interview that was recorded about a week ago as I'm recording this at 11.17 p.m. right now uh, on a Tuesday. Uh, Jamal came on about last week. I think it might have been a Thursday or a Wednesday. I don't remember specifically, but either uh, one of those two days, I believe. And uh, we talked ball. Uh, got into the Jaguars. Uh, Tim Tebow, who was recently cut. Trevor Lawrence, kind of the arm talent, the arm angles. Uh, also a big New Orleans sports fan, so we talked about the Saints. Uh, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, that quarterback competition. Drew Brees, what he meant to New Orleans. Uh, we also dived into uh, Zion Williams and the Pelicans, so really good conversation. And if you want to check out certain parts of that conversation, then check on the description below uh, and check on the little uh, tags that I have, uh, little uh, timestamps, right, where you can click on a timestamp and get immediately to that segment if there are some segments that you would rather listen to as opposed to others. Hopefully, you listen to the whole podcast all the way through, but the timestamps are for your convenience. Now, without a deal, I'm going to give my shameless plug right here. First-time listener, thank you. Subscribe and follow right now, though. Also, I'm going to ask you to share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Facebook groups, Reddit threads, etc., etc. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Also, Daryl Lane. And follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lane. I'll say it again for you, at NightTrain underscore Lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or you have iTunes, then give me a great comment. Give me a great comment, right? And leave me five stars. And for some odd reason, right? If you don't like my podcast, then take a page from what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, before we get to Jamal Saints here... We are going. I'm going to uh, give my opinion on something that kind of shocked the sports world. Uh, like my good friend Kenny Sims says, Daryl, you need to bring back the monologue. So I have a monologue for you guys. Max Kellerman is leaving first take. Now, I would usually talk about this stuff on Outside the Shop. Uh, also, as a note, I've not been posting as much of Outside the Shop that's on YouTube uh, and it airs on Twitter and uh, Facebook. But for the NFL season, we're I'm, I'm going to bring it back. I've been saying that, but I'm going to bring it back. And it's going to be five days a week. So if you kind of want to hear, because I only do this podcast three days a week, if you want to hear me 
five days a week you just want the content it's about 10 to 15 minutes always really short easy lesson uh, then guys stay on the lookout for that also I'm starting to uh, look at a specific time where I'm gonna do it because usually it was a kind of a freelance kind of mix it up and now we're gonna have a time so if it's 10 a.m. it's gonna be 10 a.m. if it's 3 p.m. it's going to be 3 p.m. and I'm going to stay to that schedule as much as I possibly can obviously sometimes there will be a blimps on the road with changes in life etc etc but Max Kellerman right He's going to be off first take. And why this is important to me is, you know, first take was like one of the first sports shows I watched. And for all you guys listening out there, for first take might be one of the sports shows you guys ever watched. Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. Obviously, Skip Bayless is now at FS1 with Shannon Sharp. Uh, first take brought in Max Kellerman to be with Stephen A. Smith. But now it looks like the Stephen A. Smith-Max Kellerman pairing is heading towards the end. Now, this was per Joe Paul Paleo. And here's what he said. Max Kellerman is going to be out uh, a first take, he's going to be doing ESPN activity. So he's not going to be fired. He's just out of ESPN first take. And he's going to be with uh, Keyshawn Johnson and Jay Williams on an ESPN radio show. It's a morning show. Uh, Keyshawn and Jay Williams, I listen to it every once in a while. I think they're going to try to get Max Kellerman and kind of replicate that magic which kind of got Max Kellerman on the scene because people who remember, who don't remember, he was with Marcellus Wiley, another former professional athlete who has his own show, Speak for Yourself. Uh, and they did LA radio there for like five, six, seven years. So I think they're going to try to replicate that magic. I also believe ESPN's ratings in terms of their radio, uh, in terms of the radio ratings, have not been good. Max Kellerman, he's a face, he's a name. So I think that's going to help. Uh, Stephen A. Smith and Molly Karam uh, are going to stay. And it's going to be a rotating panel of debaters that will go against Stephen A. Smith. It's Stephen A. versus the world. That's how they're branding it. And also, I thought this was interesting, with Stephen A. Smith making $12 million annually, ESPN plans on rotating guests for him to debate. So I don't know if that's a penny-pinching thing. Obviously, we're in the pandemic. Money is a little shorter. Now, first, here's what I want to say. Max Kellerman leaving first stake in no shape or form can that be mutual. That is a demotion. Right? He's not like he's getting fired. It's not like he's getting let go. But that is a demotion within the company. First take is the highest rated sports show. It's higher rated than any other sports show, whether you're talking about The Herd with Colin Coward, whether you're talking about Skipping and Shannon, whether you want to talk about any of these other sports shows, even freaking TNT with Kenny, Ernie, Shaq, and all of them, right? Get up with Mike Greenberg. Uh, first things first with Nick Wright or whatever. Uh, PTI even with uh, Tony, uh, Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon. First take is the creme de la creme. It is number one, and it's not even really close. They get the best TV ratings. They get the best YouTube views. Uh, first take is killing it. So when you're leaving that spot, right, it can't be mutual. That's like when you're the principal of a school, they come up to you and they're like, hey, how about you be a teacher? You can still work at the school. You're still going to work around the same people. You're just going from... The principal to the teacher. That is a demotion in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. When you tell someone, hey, you know, you've been great at working at a, as a server at a restaurant. But now what we're going to do is maybe you should do dishes. Still working. Maybe you're still making the same pay, but... 
that is for you know all intents and purposes a demotion you see when you go from being at the top and then you're like hey we're gonna do something else but we're gonna, gonna put you in the back it's an emotion radio versus tv which one do you think makes more money who do you think max kellerman as a talent right who do you who do you think more eyeballs are going to be on right radio with Keyshawn johnson or jay williams or tv with stephen freaking a smith tv with stephen a smith Max Kellerman actually left radio to go on TV with Stephen A. Smith because the opportunity first take provided. That's why he left. So we're talking radio versus TV. Stephen A. Smith versus Jay Williams and Keyshawn Johnson. It just doesn't add up. There's no way Max Kellerman wanted to leave. And then it gets into other reports, as I've been reading and sifting through information, that apparently Stephen A. Smith has a disdain for Max Kellerman. Stephen A. Smith has denied that. I don't know how much that is true. Uh, obviously, it's hard to vet all this stuff because I don't know these people. But, you know, obviously there's egos. There's egos in sports. There's egos in media. There's egos in any job. People that think they're better than the other. People that think, you know, maybe this person shouldn't be doing this. Obviously, Stephen A. Smith has a lot of power. He's the face of the franchise, so to speak. He is the LeBron James of ESPN. It starts with Stephen A. Smith. He has the ratings, and also it seems like he has the producer who's the vice president of ESPN in his pocket, so that helps too. When you're the man, and you got the man above the man helping you, that helps. I think at the end of the day, this signals a couple of things. And this kind of really go, and I want to bring this back to Skip Bayless now. Uh, I don't believe that if you're doing these, uh, I think Skip Bayless is going to come back to first take eventually and work with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, I, that, that's just what I see. I, I think in terms of rotating guests, I don't know. I don't think that's very entertaining. I've read stuff with Michael Irvin. I mean, it's a lot of screaming. It'll probably be funny, but I don't know how I feel about that, you know? Uh, Kendra Perkins, they can rotate Kendra Perkins. They're going to rotate a lot of guys. Maybe put a Mike Greenberg in there for whatever reason sometimes. But I, I, I just think you need consistency with the audience of having the same two hosts and then yeah, having a third or a fourth in terms of guest co-hosting uh, situations, right? So I don't see the value I, in, in doing that. And I know Stephen A. Smith is bulletproof in terms of ratings. People love Stephen A. Smith. He's funny. But I think Max Kellerman did a hell of a job. Uh, I think it's not easy to work with somebody like Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith can be a little nonchalant. He can kind of be rude on air. Like, it's not easy to work with Stephen A., right? And and, and all props to Stephen A. because he's great, but it's not easy to do that. I think Max did a great job, but I think this is going to end in a Skip Bayless reunion, obviously. ESPN recruited Skip Bayless hard when his contract was up uh, months ago, but I think this is going to end up... I think the seat, the next time that seat will have a full-time position will be when Skip Bayless comes back to ESPN. And I think they're going to bide their time. Similarly to how before Stephen A. Smith was on first take, Skip Bayless was debating everybody. It was kind of Skip versus the world. And then he said, hey, Stephen A., want to come in? We can make magic? Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. That's my prediction. And that's how I feel about the situation. But in terms of the short term, I don't think it's good for the show. But obviously, I think Skip Bayless is going to eventually come back. And I think that will be magnificent for the show. So that's just my opinion on it. Want to talk about it? Huge in sports, sports media. Obviously, 
Everybody knows who Stephen A. Smith is, Max Kellerman, Skip Bills, all these characters and guys involved, what First Take is, what First Take is represented in terms of sports debate and sports media. So I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Now, without ado, kind of next, out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get to Jamal St. Cyr, kind of next, out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Great state championship game appearances. Very few high major recruiters looked at the six foot tall, 180 pounder and said, Quarterback. Throw it on a dime, I can't even try. Just a kid from Briarwoods, I'm wearing number nine. I go strike them down at any. With Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Jamal St. Cyr, uh, covers Jacksonville Jaguar, sports anchor and reporter for News 4 Jacks. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How's it going? I'm doing great. So, the first thing I have to ask you is this. So, there's been all this hoopla, all this talk about Trevor Lawrence. He's been the number one prospect since he's been, like, in high school. Uh, everybody followed him at Clemson. He's drafted number one. How has Trevor Lawrence looked to you? Does he seem like he is the hype? Look, uh, he has a special arm. And, you know, for all this quarterback competition stuff that's going on, every day during practice there's at least one or two throws that Trevor makes that everybody just kind of steps back and goes, wow. Um, So he's definitely shown that he can live up to the hype. It's not something where people are scratching their heads right now wondering if he has the talent to be the franchise quarterback. It's just when they're going to let him officially be the franchise quarterback. Okay, and when you mention a couple like like just arm talent, I think sometimes think people just think arm talent is just okay. You can throw it eighty yards, like but like there's so much more to it, like just throwing on the run. Just like you just kind of explain like what you mean by that, like some of those. Oh, thro- I mean, he he can flick his wrist and, and send that ball forty yards down the field, but it's also ball placement where he's putting some of these passes in pretty tight windows or or understanding that okay, well if I put it there, then you know the defender has a, a shot to to actually come up with an interception. I mean, during red zone drills, I can't tell you how many passes I've seen him throw that, you know, he put it where only his receiver had a shot to make a play on that pass. And he, the defender could be as close to coverage as they wanted, but there was just no chance. So with that, why is Urban Meyer saying there's a quarterback competition? Uh, the thing that I've gotten from it is that Urban is a hyper-competitive person and he wants a roster filled with hyper-competitive guys. And by making this competition, he wants everyone on the roster to earn their position, earn the right to be a starter, and that's Trevor included. Um, Early on in camp, it made perfect sense. I think we're getting to the point where that whole earn the starting position is starting to wear thin and everyone that has been there, players and coaches included, can see that Trevor should be the starting guy and that he will need reps in practice to get ready for the season. Um, but I think Coach Meyer is really wanting to continue to push that competitive mentality and almost set the tone for his entire tenure with this team of saying, look, Trevor came in here and he wasn't given a thing. I made him work for it. I made him earn it. And for a lack, for, to use his words, he made him own it. In terms of the reps at practice, how have they been split between Trevor and Gardner Minshew? Yeah, they're, they're about 50-50. Um, each guy will go in, get a series, or get a couple of plays, and then they'll switch out. I mean, even the past two days in practice, there have been certain drills where 
Trevor Lawrence will go in and get a throw, and then Gardner Mitchell will go in the next play and get a throw, and they'll switch back and forth like that. Because um, they're really the only two quarterbacks getting reps during practice. I mean, when it comes to, like, C.J. Beathard, Jake Luton, those guys get I mean, three or four throws between the two of them a day. So a lot of people have speculated, too, that maybe they think it's, you know, he's trying to buffer up Gardner Minshew's trade value. You don't think it's not that. You just think it's more of just Irvin's philosophy. If he wants competition, he wants to think everything has been earned. How would doing anything on the practice field buff up Gardner Minshew's trade value? That has no bearing on anything. It's not like NFL scouts are sitting there watching the Jaguars practice. Um, now, if you were saying they gave him extensive playing time during the preseason to try and buff up his trade value, that might be one thing, but that hasn't been what's happened so far. And then even then, you have to put him in a position to succeed during preseason where he is out there throwing darts where somebody wants him on their roster. Um, I think right now they're in a position where they need to keep Minshew on the team, um, but I, I don't think this competition has anything to do with Gardner Minshew's trade value at all. When do you think they will officially, because I think you've kind of been like, it seems like everybody's kind of like, okay, we can see that, you know, Trevor's the guy. When do you think that they're going to officially name him the quarterback? Look, at this point, I, I don't have a date for you. I mean, we just got finished talking to Urban Meyer earlier today, and all he keeps telling us is that he has a timeline in his head, but he's not sharing that with anyone. Um, I think it, the best I can tell you is probably some point before the first game. Uh, but I don't have an exact date. I, most teams at this point have started to give their starting quarterback more reps. I can tell you the Jaguars have not started doing that yet. Now what I also want to go to is this. Uh, in terms of Trevor, too, when you mention you know, the arm talent, the arm angles, how good do you think he can be? Like, What do you think is the ceiling or your time being around football? Is there anybody that he kind of reminds you of when you're like, because you got to say, like, it's different. It, you know, it's tough to really put a ceiling on a guy like that or even compare him to, you know, different quarterbacks because Trevor has so many different things. Like, he, I mean, he can get the ball out so quickly, but he also has the speed to, you know, tuck in and run if he wants to and cover a lot of ground really quickly. Um, I think he could be a very good quarterback. Um, obviously, I want to see a little bit more of him live in some games, but on the practice field, he's given the defense fits and just some of the passes that he's out there able to throw just don't look like a rookie quarterback to me. I mean, they look like a guy who's ready to go and would be a truly special player in the NFL. So when you also go to this, uh, Urban, uh, Urban's coming from Ohio State, he was at Florida, he's had success anywhere, uh, he's gone. you kind of mentioned and touched on that a little bit in terms of he wants to build a competitive atmosphere, but can you kind of explain how Wilson just in terms of, you know, how he wants this franchise to be run? Because it seems like he's going to be more of a CEO type. Oh, he's definitely a CEO type. He, he's taken a little bit of a different approach than I've heard many coaches talk about. I mean, he's getting input from a lot of different people inside the organization. He mentioned earlier this week that he had talked to Senator Brandon Linder about the defensive line guys because he knows Linder's an NFL veteran who lines up against those guys every day in practice. He thinks that Linder should know the strengths and weaknesses of the guys that he's trying to block during one-on-ones, which makes perfect sense. He also mentioned that you know he's taken into account um, he, his position coaches and allowed them during free agency to do some research and tell him what guys he thought 
or what guys they thought they needed from the free agent pool in order to improve the team. So Urban is definitely letting his coaches coach and letting his players have input. He's applying a lot of different things and taking a, a very much that overseer sort of role. But the biggest thing that you can get from an Urban Meyer-led team is that he wants to be a competitive environment. It's going to be competitive. The guys that they signed during free agency are all very competitive, and that is exactly what he's trying to build, nothing but competition. Do you think that's a breath of uh, a breath of fresh air? Because I think a lot of times when you have head coaches in the NFL, one of them they're always like, you know, like if people think of let's, and I know he's a good coach, Kyle Shanahan. People think of Kyle Shanahan as a offensive guru. He calls the plays, or if there's a guy on defense, like he's a defensive guru. Uh, you know, he worries about the defense. They'll be like, oh, I'll let the OC or the handle that side of the ball. Do you think it's a breath of fresh air that Urban's kind of like, I'm worried about everything. I'm not necessarily calling the plays, but I'm making sure I have the scope of the whole team and the pulse of the whole team. I think it's a little bit of a different approach, um, but I think he's done enough research that he knows what he needs to do, um, and he's talked to a lot of people on what what his approach needs to be like if he wants to be successful. So uh, I think it is a little bit of a breath of fresh air. He's definitely taking a different approach than a lot of guys do, but his he his track record of success that's the way he did it in college and it worked for him. So I mean, why he's not reinventing the wheel here? So, Tim Tebow, Tebow Mania, Tim Tebow just got caught. How was that? You laugh. So, how was that? How was Tim Tebow? Uh, you know, it's a situation you, we kind of had to handle with kid gloves almost. Look, Tebow has, uh, Tebow's from Jacksonville, played high school football right here on the First Coast. Um, has a lot of fanfare that has followed him his entire career. Was a phenomenal quarterback in college. But anybody who was realistically looking at the situation knew that him making the transition to tight end was a tall task to ask of anyone, especially a guy who hadn't played professional football in years. Um, I personally thought they were going to give him until the final roster cut just because of the reality of you're asking a guy to completely learn a new position. You can't seriously expect him to get that done in only a matter of weeks. But they saw enough. They called it you know, called it a day and moved on. Um, I don't think there's any harm, any foul. Um, obviously, they sold some jerseys in the process, <laughs> upset some fans in the process. But uh, you know, Tebow looked—he looked fine early on in camp when Urban Meyer was selling the defense to play soft. But as soon as the pads went on, um, his play slowly tapered off, and it was becoming more and more clear that. He just couldn't get open as a receiver, and that his blocking ability just wasn't there. And, and can you kind of talk about this, right? So, like, I think sometimes people think, you know, if you're a really good athlete, you can just, you know, switch positions. But it's not really, like, that easy. Like, playing quarterback, it's a completely different mindset, and obviously it's a completely different skills, skill set if you're playing tight end, where it's different if you're trying to run over a linebacker, right? You have the ball in your hands as opposed to you are now drive-blocking said linebacker. Yeah, you're, you're asking him to do things on the football field that he's never done in his entire life. I mean, it's one thing if you said he was trying to go from quarterback even to running back. Those are kind of looking at the field the same way. But even then, you're still asking for a lot of a change from a guy. To ask him to go from quarterback to tight end after taking a break from the game for as long as he did, that's a drastic change. You're asking him to, you know, line up at the line of scrimmage and try and you know, and read things the way he did previously and understand 
where he needs to be for a block and do things that he's just never done. He's never done it. And that's a, that's a, a quick transition. I think Chris Manhurts, who's a, another Jaguars tight end, he played college basketball, made the switch to, tight, or to football after graduated college, and has gotten a good NFL career. He, to, he said earlier this camp that it took him like two years before he really understood how to play tight end. And obviously Tim Tebow came from a little bit more of a football knowledge than Manhurts, but he'd never played tight end before. It, so it was going to take time. This was a project. And if, if anybody thought, like realistically, if anyone thought that, oh, Tebow's going to come in and be an impact player for the Jaguars, playing a position he's never played before in his entire life, I'm sorry, they were just a little bit delusional when it came to that. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. So why not put him... I mean, you know, and I guess the whole quarterback thing is, you know, been there, done that. But why not have him play quarterback? I mean, like that. It, I feel like that that would make more logical sense. Like that's putting him in a better position to succeed. Play quarterback for who? I mean, uh, you can use him as a wildcat quarterback. Could you not use him as a wildcat quarterback? Okay, let's put it this way. So you've got Trevor Lawrence here. You've got you got the number one overall pick. And figure this: he throws an interception or is having a bad rookie game. You've got Tim Tebow sitting on the bench. What do you think the chants are going to be the first time that happens? We want Tebow. Right, wrong, Tebow has such a devoted fan base that they believe that he can improve any situation when he steps on the football field. And he's shown at times that in his career that he can get things done. But why would you want to put your franchise quarterback in that situation? And realistically, I don't think there's a situation where you want to be taking Lawrence off the field to run the Wildcat with Tebow at quarterback. And I'm not sure that Tebow could run the same offense that Trevor Lawrence can run. They've already got a quarterback with suspect arm strength and Minshew that's on the roster. So, No, I'm just saying in terms of, for Tim T, I mean, I get the Trevor Lawrence aspect of it, but in terms of if you actually want him to succeed. Like, oh, I mean, he's got a better, he, he would have had a better shot at succeeding there than anywhere else on the football field. I, I'll give you that. Uh, but I think the time for all of that is it had just passed. Um, I think when you walk away from the game that for that long and he pursued his professional football go- or professional baseball career, I, I think the time had just passed. What was the fanfare around him though when he was there? Uh, I mean, he sold a bunch of jerseys. Every time it was an open practice, if he caught a pass, it was typically one of the louder plays of the day. Um, he tried to keep it low-key. He very much did not acknowledge the fans, did not want to do interviews. Um, he wanted to focus on football. But um, it, when I when that preseason game, there were two jerseys that, that, that I saw multiple times in the stands during the Jaguars one home preseason game. Trevor Lawrence and Tim Tebow. <laughs> so that should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of people that were hoping to see Tebow on this roster. In terms of, you know, Tebow's career, you think his football career is done now, right? Like, it's... Yeah, even Urban Meyer kind of said, and kind of mentioned that this is probably the end of the road. Now, I think some people said, you know, like, you know, obviously people talk about the leadership. Do you think there's any chance that they could bring Tebow in as, like, a... Not, not a player, but, you know, just have him around the team? I mean, I always thought that best-case scenario for him was that the Jaguars saw potential and put him on the practice squad. Um, with him being released in this manner this early in camp, I don't think that's a scenario that is possible anymore. 
as far as keeping him around the team, uh, I think he's probably going to have enough other things going on. He does so much work off the field and possibly even going back to SEC Network or something like that that I don't think he'll take on any sort of uh, position around the team like that. No, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. So what I want to do is this, right? So AFC South. If you would could give me like your hierarchy, your tiers of teams, like one, two, three, and four, how would that order go? Well, the Titans are in a tier all by themselves at the top. Uh, the Texans are in a tier all by themselves at the bottom. <laughs> Texans are pretty <laughs> and bad. It, it, and then the questions about health around uh, with the with the Colts, I put the Jaguars and the Colts in the same tier right now, just because I'm not sure whether or not Wentz will be back or not. Um, I know some people have, have suggested that Wentz may be back for the first game. If he's back, then obviously there's not as much to worry about around that team. If he's going to miss substantial time with that injury, then there's question marks. I mean, I, if you tell me a Colts-led team with Jacob Eason, I don't think they win very many games. So um, I put them in the tier with the Jaguars. only. So Titans tier one. Colts and Jags tier two, Texans and tier three. How well, obviously, I think the Texans—they're—they're they're automatically at the bottom. Like, I don't think anybody foresees them, you know, moving any higher than that. But in terms of the Colts and Jaguars, how close are they, or how far are they from the Titans? <sighs> from the Titans? Yes. Um, I, I think the Titans are a team that has deep playoff run aspirations and potential. I don't think that. I, I think both of those teams need work on their roster before they're going to be prepared to compete with the Titans hands on. I mean, that addition of Joe Jones uh, changes a lot around that offense and it's going to make them one of the more dangerous ones are tough to defend in the league. So in terms of just the AFC in general, in terms of where Jacksonville sits, do you think there's wildcard potential here? If everything goes right, there's a possibility. I, I don't want to say there's not. I don't think the goal this year is the playoffs. The goal this year is growth. Obviously, a win, one win last year, it's tough to do worse than that. So anything is an improvement. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think the are, are the wild card spot possible. Sure, if everything goes right, all the, the dominoes fall in a row. The Colts have injury issues which gives the Jaguars probably two wins against them, then yes, it's possible that they could make, make a playoff run. Do I think that's realistic? Probably not. This is a, more of a year of growth. I'm thinking seven, eight wins. Does that keep them at least in the conversation later into the season? Possibly. But I don't think, uh, and, I, and I'm given, obviously, Urban Meyer would never say that. Urban wants to you know, make the playoffs this year. I just don't think the roster is there just yet. I think the offense is ready to put some points on the board. Um, obviously, Trevor is going to have to grow, but the defense is probably going to give up some points too. So there, there's some room to improve at some spots. Now, in terms of young players on the roster, who are some players that people should be excited about? Um, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. I mean, I can give you both first-round picks. I can give you another rookie, Andre Cisco, um, at safety. Um, all three of those guys are definitely guys whose ceilings are pointed up. You want to go to a guy that was picked last year in LaVisca Chenault. I mean, he's put on pounds of muscle weight. I mean, he's freaking jacked. Um, 
he looks like a running back playing wide receiver. So he's going to be another guy that I'll have my eye on who I think is going to catch a lot of passes. Um, James Robinson looks faster than he was a year ago. Um, the only thing that's going to cap his ceiling is uh, splitting the backfield time with ETN. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, the hope is that Josh Allen will, will refine his form from his rookie year and put up double sacks again. Um, so I, the, this whole the whole team is nothing but young guys, and that's why why the I mean right now the the oldest guy on the roster is Marvin Jones Jr. who's going to be a starter at wide receiver. He's thirty one. Tim Tebow is the oldest guy in the locker room. That's crazy. Yeah, that's actually very crazy. So you've been covering the team since you've been covering the team. Are there any fun slash interesting stories that you have? Like anything that made you laugh or anything that you were like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Fun slash interesting stories. I mean, the whole Gardner Minshew rookie year thing was just crazy because his backstory was just so strange. I mean, he's he's Gardner Minshew the second, but there's no Gardner Minshew the first. <laughs> um, that's hard to know, do. <laughs> he, he considered breaking his hand during college because he wanted to, you know, get a red shirt year and he was sitting there drinking Jack Daniels to do that. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there was so <laughs> much stuff that, that first year just of Gardner's story. I mean, I think Gardner's just such a likable guy um, and he has such an interesting backstory and, I mean, funny dude. Wait, wait, you um, said he, he's he's Gardner Minshew the second, but there's no first. <laughs> there's no Gardner Minshew the first. That's no, funny. They that... just named him the second. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's just, just odd stuff around this kid, man. Uh, from Brandon, Mississippi, and just an odd backstory. But uh, so I think that whole year was nothing but jokes. How was Minshew Mania when it was going on? How exciting was it? Or, or for you know for the fans, I, I think it was kind of interesting. A little bit of a jolt. I mean, you you got fans showing up to the game in headbands and jort. But yeah, you, you got fans showing up to, to games and fake mustaches and jean shorts and headbands, and it yeah, it was it was it was definitely an interesting time. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's that, that's great. So, you're a Saints fan, right? Born and raised in New Orleans. So, Drew Brees, retired. How are you going to remember Drew? Uh, I'll remember Drew for the Super Bowl. I'll remember Drew for those record-setting games and uh, for uh, coming to the Saints and then making them a, a competent franchise after... You know, uh, what was uh, definitely some disappointing years prior to that. Um, I'll remember Drew for what he meant to, to that city as they tried to rebuild after Hurricane Katrina and him, you know, deciding he wanted to be a part of that process. Definitely not these last couple of years. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, hey, I, I think Drew is one of the most beloved guys in his city. Oh, yeah. Out of any athlete. Like, they love Drew Brees. Did you get a feeling last year that it was probably going to be the end? Because he didn't. I don't think he officially declared it until real, literally at the. Did you think there was a possibility that maybe if things would have gone a little bit differently, he could have been back for another year? No, I I think that I thought last year was pushing it personally. Um, his arm was gone by the end of the year, even the the year prior to last year. Um, if you think back to the playoff game, I believe it was against the Eagles. Um. Was it against the Vikings? It was well, no. The, well, the Vikings game. Okay, so then it was the year before that when they played the Eagles. 
Eagles. Or the Minnesota the Miracle. Ball they tried to throw, and he pulled... Sean Payton pulled Drew out and put Taysom in to throw the deep ball. I said, ah, they know his arm's gone. And, and then that year against the Vikings, no one wanted to accept it, but that was when Taysom was having that big game against the Vikings. And I kept saying, I was like, if they just sat Drew down, they win this game. If they just, you know, tell him that we, we need you to play a little bit less in the second half, they win this game. Um, Drew had earned the right to leave when he felt like he was ready to leave, but his arm was his arm couldn't make it through a full NFL season anymore. Yeah, I think you kind of see how it started to deteriorate, and maybe it hurt, you know, the ability, their play calling ability a little bit. Why do you think, and there's probably a lot of different ways you can go with this, why do you think that, like, for example, like him and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, they're all around the same age, they're all relative peers. Obviously, Tom Brady, I think, is still, you know, top 10 right around there. He's still good. Well, why do you, then Brady, you know, was able to kind of extend past 40 a little bit. Then you see Peyton. I think Peyton was just done. And Peyton looked, to me, worse than Brady was this year. Way worse. So why do you think it is that some of these guys, you know, all around the same age, but why? It, when it just goes, it goes. Do you think it's just kind of as simple as that? Or do you think, because I think they all take care of themselves. I don't know. The best I got is his DNA. I mean, you know. I'm sure Brady has a, a very special routine that he's followed, but uh, best I got is that, you know, he, the luck of the DNA draw. So if Drew, you said you thought he lost his arm about a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, a uh, year, two years ago. Yeah, it was it was becoming more and more late. How many more years do you give Brady? I, I haven't seen that sort of deterioration. I know, his arm still looks good. That's the freaky part. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, he's never been a, a guy who runs around or anything like that. His arm still looks as good as it always has. I mean, as, as of right now, I mean, I, he can play as long as he wants to play. <laughs> what do you think is kind of the motivation for a guy like that where he's like, you know, he's he's done everything that he possibly can do. He has so many other options in life, but he's like, ah, I just want to keep playing football like, and just keep winning. Okay, I mean, he loves the game. He's still trying to prove people wrong about making him a sixth-round pick. Um, and, you know, people were saying he was going to be washed when he left New England. So, you know, he, he, he loves to prove people wrong and just be able to say, I did it. So, Taysom or Jameis, who would you rather see be the starting quarterback for the Saints? Uh, <laughs> um, probably Jameis. Yeah, I'll, probably, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go Jameis there. I don't think Taysom is a full-time quarterback. You think James is a full-time quarterback, though? Uh, I trust... Here's my thing, and, and I, I believe in Sean Payton as a quarterback coach. I also believe in him as a play caller. I've seen him make quarterbacks like Luke McCown actually look like NFL-caliber guys late in their career as they filled in for Drew Brees. I think he's got a better chance at you know, convincing Jameis not to throw interceptions, but he does that convincing Taysom to push the ball down the field. That's fair. Do you think they actually will go with uh, Jameis, though? I think they go Taysom early in the season. They got so many injuries at wide receiver. Michael Thomas out. Devonta Harris is uh, probably is suspended. And they got other question marks on that roster. I think they'll go Taysom early. So I'm sorry I have to do this since you are a Saints fan. Which loss hurt most? I'm curious. Which loss hurt most in the postseason the last three or four years? Because there's the the Vikings no one. Huh? Oh, the no call? Oh, so the Rams one. It's the no call. That's not even a question. Oh, oh not, so that's worse than the than uh, the Minnesota Miracle. Not even close. Uh, the, the 
the Minnesota play is is one thing, but we weren't we hadn't made it. That wasn't the championship game. Like uh, Marcus Williams, great. He's turned into an okay player. Trust me, I remember that he he missed that play. But the no call, but it's not even close. Because that that was a give me. That was a give me to everybody that watched that game. They they get that first down, they win the game, and they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no call. What, what's your feeling after that game as a fan? Are you just like, what the heck? Like, what's wrong with these dudes? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was, I, 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 was just at a loss. I, I don't know. I was like, how did you miss that? That made no sense. Like, I know Tommy Lee Harris is a little wide receiver, but I mean, he was absolutely freaking launched long before the ball even got there. <laughs> That's funny. So. Pelicans, I got to ask you about this. Some people are saying that Zion, he might not be long for New Orleans. What do you think about that? I don't buy it. Um, I think that I think that that team is is in a constant rebuild. But I also think that their front office ha- has some sort of a plan that they're trying to work at the very least. The good thing that I saw is that they admitted that they messed up with the, the hiring of Stan Van Gundy last year, and they were willing to undo that mistake instead of just saying, we made a decision, we're sticking with it for three years. Um, I think that there's definitely a push for a lot of superstars to get to larger markets and make these super teams. But if you notice one thing about Zion is he doesn't really follow that same mold as a lot of those guys. I mean, when's the last time you saw him post on social media about a workout? He just kind of goes about his day and like and keeps very private and does what he wants to do. I don't buy that. You know, he's already trying to push his way out of a, a situation that he knows he can't push his way out of yet. And it's going to be tough too because you know with restricted free agency, I don't know how many guys are going to turn down or how much they're going to like over a hundred million plus. That's a lot to turn down. That takes a lot. Right. I, I think I think there's just a. I think that was an over exaggeration. How do you think New Orleans should go around building around him? Because he's a special talent. How do you think they should go about that? They got. They, I mean, you, you got to get the the Batman is Robin. You need shooters, though. Um, that's where they messed up with Stan last year. Is they didn't put enough three point shooting around him. Um, and this offseason, they've kind of tried to find some of those guys and put shooters around him. And I mean, that's the biggest thing. Um, the, the, the two things they got to do is they got to get him to commit to A, showing up in shape and playing defense, but B, they've got to put guys that can knock down a three around him because right now he, he's unstoppable near the hoop and teams are just collapsing around that and leaving people wide open. Uh, that's why Lonzo Ball is able to shoot a decent clip from behind three. But, you know, nobody else was able to shoot even close to that. Well, Jamal, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem. Anytime, man. And once again, I want to thank Jamal St. Cyr for coming on the podcast, uh, talking about the Jags and uh, some other football stuff. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 322nd episode. We're moving up in the world, folks, of... Barbershop Sports Talk!